This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. The only thing, at least in California, where we have to stand on is the Penal Code, 409.5. Permits law, for, law enforcement officers to, to, to close an area, but it does not allow them to pull people out. It's very, very unclear. Hi, welcome to Ian Weekly, and this week we're talking about, well, evacuations. And over the time, you know, we've all put evacuations orders out. Uh, for the communities and and we know that uh, in times people are upset. You know, if you take a look at what happened with the Woolsey fire in Malibu when people couldn't get back to their homes because it was too dangerous and they're asking for helicopters to be brought in to, so they could see and survey their own property. I get it, you know, you get it, but uh, how do we get the public to understand that evacuation orders are for their safety and for the safety of the crews? Uh, that are out there doing their job, either fighting the fires and or whatever else the evacuation is for. So, Michael, welcome to Ian Weekly, and let's talk evacuations. Thank you. I enjoy uh, always uh, following you on the social media and the occasional chance to uh, be on your podcast. So we're chatting about evacuations and, and how people don't... Uh, don't necessarily listen to our warnings and and whatnot. And I had time to speak to Dennis Maletti a few years ago and when I was working at Dana Point, working with a nuclear power plant, talking about evacuations and, you know, messaging and wh- how important the messaging is and, you know, trying to get that across to people. But even with that and, and all the research we've done, people just don't want to listen. So what do you think? What, what do you think the, pro- the problem is? Well, I agree with you. When I came in uh, in 82, we were planning for the Rancho Seco nuclear power plant planning, and we had some of the same issues of uh, uh, trying to convince people that when we ask you to leave, you need to leave. And this actually goes back way back in the uh, 50s and 60s and 70s, and FEMA uh, developed a, a, a the planning guide is called U.S. Crisis Relocation Planning, and they issued that back in February 1981, and it's based on a presidential directive uh, from 1978. And they were faced with the same issues, if, and obviously it was for war, but the, the planning guide was for all hazards back then. And they came up with several bullet points, and it really reflects today. And one, and uh, we have a lot of plans out there. We have our own localized plans for the different hazards. Ours happens to be mostly flood with transportation falling in. But uh, uh, we look back at uh, Katrina evacuations, our rental cycle planning, and uh, other, you know, like even the Oroville Dam planning. But look what FEMA came up with back in 81. And, and tell me, it's still not, what we're dealing with now. One is the willingness to relocate. You know, we're talking about the citizens and businesses. 
knowledge of our plans, a fraction without their own transportation, availability of fuel and transportation, spontaneous evacuations, traffic control, what about uh, disablements, adverse weather, time to clear large cities, post preparations, and leadership and direction. They also came up bullet points on the sheltering, the warning, but uh, uh, that's that's the, the core issues they ran into. And what do all of our plans say? They say the same things, even the Southern and uh, Bay Area catastrophic quake plans. And we just developed not too long ago, a Northern California catastrophic flood plan. And those are some of the same bullet items. And I think to me, uh, there's four reasons why people don't heed our warnings. One is they don't believe the threat will actually impact them. Two, they want to stay and protect their property from either the hazard, like fight fires with their garden hoses or looters. They don't trust the jurisdiction will allow them reentry. You know, what is their reentry plan? And three is they want to do their own damage assessment. They want to know is their property still there. And you do see those play across a lot. Especially, you know, when you're talking about um, the doing their own damage assessment, uh, doing their own um, firefighting, if you will. Uh, especially when you when you talk about the wildfires, and and then the other thing too, though, is do when you say they don't trust the jurisdiction. I, I want to put a little bit more to that. I think sometimes, especially with like the hurricane seasons and things like this, is there's been so many times when we have, um, I don't know, like, I don't want to say cried wolf, but, you know, said, hey, this is going to be the worst hurricane that ever hit the, you know, the coast. And it doesn't come out because the it changes direction or something like that. Do we, are we creating our own worst enemy by, uh, by putting out these warnings too early? Well, I think, uh, uh, I think it's always good uh, if you use weather services terms, uh, advisories and statements, statements are more follow-ups. I think that the media is doing a, a pretty good job of trying to say, here's the hazard. This is kind of where we see it. But the closer it gets, the more build up or cry woofing it could be. Some of the last couple of years, some jurisdictions have actually gone to really dire wording almost, you know, basically you're going to die. And if that hurricane turns or somehow we stop the flood, you know, with uh, flood fighting or the fire gets detained or the wind changes, uh, are we at the point where we have got so desperate in our wording that now whatever we do, people are still going to say, yeah, that's why I stayed here. And you see that. And again, with the fires, right? Um, people have, the ability to do things with their homes, especially, you know, I want to say the garden hose, but you know, there's tools that they have out there now that they're able to, um, to utilize uh, instead of just waiting for the fire department to come in. And then I, I think it's sometimes they take a look at the, the footage uh, where one house burns down and the other one doesn't. And they have that question of, of why my house and not the other guy's house or whatever. And they want to s- kind of stay back to see the why portion of it. And, not understanding the complete dangers that they are creating for themselves. And again, like the rescuers, right? Uh, you, you know, bringing people in harm's way to go rescue you when you're sitting back. And I know we're talking to the, to the choir here 
literally, you know, to emergency managers and, and not to the public necessarily. But I guess my question is, is are we doing enough pre-education for evacuations and, or are we relying upon the disaster to come in where we have to uh, uh, really get those messages rolling? Well, I, I think, I think emergency managers tend to try to use a year round approach. You know, we have the, we just finished the federal uh, uh, preparation month and then along comes uh, the earthquake day and some do the week. We just finished uh, flood awareness week for uh, California, Nevada and uh, Arizona stepped in. There's rail safety week and then you get into winter and uh, spring, there's events that FEMA tries to, to push out and, and locally. So year round, we change the message, all get ready for summer heat. But we try to use the same techniques. You know, we try to tell them, you know, have an emergency kit. And uh, Most people, even though we tell them, you have a portable uh, radio or have a NOAA radio. If you walked up to a person said, what is your primary emergency alert system radio station to tune to? They may not know, even though us emergency managers keep pushing it out. So I think we just have to keep keep doing that, keep using every awareness campaign that there is out there year-round to try to keep delivering that message. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I think we do a, a very decent job on doing preparedness stuff out there, you know, and, you know, have a kit, get ready to go. But I, I'm just trying to figure out how do we – how do we stress the idea that when we call for an evacuation, it's not taken lightly. You know, we don't just go, oh, you know, this sounds like a good thing to do just, just because. I mean, we really take a look at where the thing, where the fire is going. We listen to the fire department. Um, we, we have these conversations amongst ourselves. And then we go, okay, yeah, we're going to make this evacuation. I'm talking fires here. And we're going to make this evacuation um, a decision in order. And the sheriff department, they, they sign off on it and they go, okay, yeah, we're going to make this evacuation order go out. Um, and, and then we push it. You, you know, I was just watching this documentary on the uh, campfire with Paradise and people were calling into dispatch asking, should we evacuate? And dispatch didn't have the right information. It's not, not their fault. Right. They, they did not, uh, they kept calling uh, Cal fire and asking where it was and, you know, there's a lot back. You have to watch the documentary to really appreciate where where they're coming from. But they're asking this question, should we evacuate? And and I think, how do we empower? And I say this, how do we empower? Because, I mean, they should have this already, but I don't think they, I want to say they, I'm talking about the general population. You know, how do we tell them, hey, like, if you feel unsafe, go. You know, if you feel unsafe, don't wait for us to put that order out. If you feel unsafe, go. You know, when we put the order out, though, Go, you know, I mean, it's, it just seems to be that there, we lost a lot of lives in that fire. And I think a lot of had to do with the fact that people were not feeling the urgency to leave. Well, there's two points on that. One is all the jurisdictions do not use the same terminology. All uh, jurisdictions do not have the same approach. In my county, uh, I came in in San Joaquin County in 1982. Two weeks later, we were in a flood fight. And I remember we got together with our sheriff and public health and our office, and we decided that if in doubt, get them out. And others uh, may feel that, hey, it's up to that person to uh, to get out on their own. 
the problem is in, in California, it's got to be nationwide. Is we don't use the same terminologies. I, I started collecting terms on basically in four categories. You know, telling people to stay put or just be aware of something. Two, they should consider leaving. Uh, three, they will leave. And four, other categories like child abduction and uh, civil emergency message, and that uh, you have silver alert and blue alert. Uh, but but all the different jurisdictions, they try something different. And an example, uh, should consider leaving. I saw jurisdictions use recommended evacuation, advisory evacuation, which is close to what Weather Service says. And advisory is, hey, be aware of this hazard. I've heard precautionary ordered evacuation, precautionary evacuation, suggested evacuation, volunteer evacuation, evacuation warning, and Weather Service and others, warning means it's imminent or occurring, evacuation advisement, and recommended evacuation. And, uh, and some of the fire service uses the ready, set, go. So this would be like set. You know. So so the California, working with some of the local emergency managers, came up with a new state of California alert and warning guideline. And then we interviewed them in our evacuation story on soundingsmag.net. They're aware of there's a problem of that. Yeah, there's no standardization. And that's what they are trying to do is standardize these terms. In 97 floods, I won't say what county, but on one side of the street was county, the other side was the city. And the county was using different terms for, hey, you should consider getting out of here. And the city was using something different. So here got people across the street, you know, getting different mixed messages. So I think that's the biggest thing. We got to standardize. The second issue is how do those people get notified? And you're right about the paradise thing. The other thing a lot of people don't know, and again, we addressed that in our evacuation story on the soundings, was a lot of the cell towers went down. And, and so people would turn on the radio and they'd turn in their local radio station and they were listening to some syndicated talk show because they didn't know what station they should have gone to. So I think that's the most important thing we need to drive home to our communities is we have all this high tech out there, old fashioned radio and is the best way of going, AM, FM, or NOAA radio. We got to get back to the basics using old technology and build up from there. So we got to make sure we use the same terminologies and to make sure they realize where to turn to to find out. Calling 911, yeah, the 911 centers, because you never know which one you're talking to if you're all on right. a cell phone. This especially they may be behind but if the local government's using their local primary one radio station which also is tv and cable then then they should be getting the right information so i think that's what we have to do is make sure people know where to turn to and use the same terminologies yeah i agree with you there's the ham radio obviously uh you have the no no weather radio um and other technologies that are out there like that but then you know, the company that, that is the sponsor of this show, uh, Titan HST, you, you know, they have like this really cruel uh, mesh networking system to where uh, even when the cell towers go down, you know, you're still able to communicate, you know, via via mesh networking. So I think that we have to invest in the infrastructure. When I say we, uh, the government, uh, local um, cities, I need to invest in, in that simple mesh networking um, technology that's out there. Uh, because it, it works, you know, 
I mean, there's other companies that do similar things. Titan HST, um, they're the ones that have um, the the patent on the cell phone specifically to turn to turn the cell phone into a mesh networking device. But the 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 technology is there, and there's no. It's just the, the the desire to to invest in that. I mean, we talk about cities that are becoming smart cities, putting in uh, nodes for Wi-Fi nodes all across the city, and it's it's relatively inexpensive. And with five G coming up, uh, it's it's going to be relatively f- super fast. I don't say relatively; it's going to be super fast. Uh, I did a piece on that on LinkedIn on on five G and emergency management, what it means for us. And if you guys want to check that out, please do. You know, but it really goes deep into um, how fast five G is. And it's going to, I don't say be the answer because I don't think there's ever one answer, but it's going to be really helpful in our ability to communicate during uh, during emergencies. Well, I agree with you. Technology is great. It can fail. And whether it's power or, or earthquake or whatever, but we also have to, especially our county, because being in the central county, you know, to the east of us is the ski lodges and to the west is San Francisco and the north of us is capital and uh, going south you can move your way up towards Yosemite you have this traveling traveling public you know whether it's commercial or just visitors and so if we depend too much on our local alert uh, systems you know that uh, like ever uh, ever ready or some of the other ones that uh, put out we have to also go back to thinking how, you know those people they back up at home in Oregon, they know to go to AM radio and search around and get information or whatever. So we have to also think about that, the ones who are in motel rooms. But we have to, so we have to use both approaches, you know, the basic, basic, basic technology and maybe our localized high-tech awareness systems. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to share a story with you that I think you'll appreciate. When I was working for Dana Point and uh, one of the interactions that I had with one of the residents. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back from that break and thank you so much for listening to our sponsor. Please reach out to them. Let them know that you heard about them here on EM Weekly because without them, we could not bring the quality programming that we're bringing you today. And Michael, before I said that, I was going to tell you the story and I think you'll really appreciate this. So every year um, we have to do a siren test, right? And as we're going through the process, um, Southern California Edison puts out this beautiful, huge, glossy uh, booklet. A lot of great information. They're very well done. And in the back of it, there's you know you, there's a pull-off thing that you put up there with your all your pertinent uh, contact information on there, whatnot. Really well done. It goes to every single address within the emergency planning zone. Uh, we put this thing in the newspaper saying that we're going to be having the uh, new, the uh, siren test, all right, in the little local newspaper, not the not the Orange County Register, but like this little free newspaper that everybody gets. It's called the Dolphin. Um, on the roads, there are signs. There's going to be a siren test, right? There's going to be a siren test, blah, blah, blah. It goes through this entire thing. This is the date that's going to happen every year around the same time. It's in October that they do the siren test. Well, after we did the siren test, we had some angry 
uh, residents that came to the city council meeting and they were complaining that they didn't know that the, <laughs> that the siren test was was going to occur. And, and I stood up and I said, ma'am, I, I'm not trying to be flippant here, but I have a really important question to ask you. Outside of me going to your door and knocking on it and letting you know that there is going to be a siren test or something is going on, how do I communicate with someone like you? Because we sent the emails, or not the emails, we sent the flyers out, the booklets. We sent them in the newspaper. We put it on the banners. We put it on the, um, the, the electronic signboards on the freeways. And all of those did not get to you. How do we communicate with someone like you? You know, and or, or do we just write a certain percentage of the population off when we're looking at communications? Like, I mean, what's the, the true question here is how do we communicate with someone like her? I think we get to the older population or even uh, uh, po- uh, population that are other cultures. I think they, unless they're the young kids, uh, a lot of them still use the old tech. They sit and watch TV or cable and um, or their local uh, classical music stations. So again, I, I think it has to be low tech. And I think you're right in another aspect that no matter what you do or try to say, they may not get that aware uh, warning or they don't care until, again until the threat's at their window. You know, the, uh, the story of Harry Truman up there, Mount Shasta, I mean, uh, Mount uh, St. Helens, everybody was warning them, hey, it's going to blow, it's going to blow. He's, he, he decided to write it out. You know, so I think we do have to take that in consideration. There are going to be people who are going to stay. And we see that like in hurricanes. They may say that, or even the power outage, people are saying, oh, we didn't we didn't know that they're going to shut our, shut our power off, even though I saw counties putting information over all their social media and uh, all their dispatch centers who were aware of it. And, uh, they had all these uh, meetings uh, with the public trying to tell them that was going to happen. We are going to face that. People just didn't get the message. You know, we have to plan for that. No matter we say you're on your own for 48 hours or whatever, 72 hours, we know we're going to have to go in there eventually and try to help them. I hate to say this. and This is one of the things I'm struggling with. I mean, do we write people off and say, truly say, hey, you are, you're on your own. Uh, we're not sending rescue into you until until this is over, especially I'm talking again, fire. And and you see this in, in with hurricanes, right? They don't send rescue people out when the storm is on top of them. They will afterwards. Right. But when the winds are blowing and it's too, they're not sending people out into that. I guess, what is the expectation from the population that are we, do they think that we are sending people downrange into those dangerous situations or do we tell them, hey, when this goes down, we, we can't send people in there to save you. We told you to leave. You're on your own, and we'll hopefully we find you in the recovery. You know, what's our, what is our responsibility on that? Well, we do see that. You know, we see hurricanes. Some, some emergencies, you, you have less time to, to advise them that you're on your own. Uh, others may be slower in the buildup, you know, like hurricanes. And some, as at some rivers, as the rivers start rising slowly, you're telling people you're on your own, you're on your own. But I think, well, once the storm's over, whatever, what the people see is the rescue boats are out there and helicopters and they're, they're, they're saying you're on your own for 72 hours, but here we are right after the storm out there trying to find them. And then you have these spontaneous volunteers, some call it the Cajun Navy, things like that, 
So people are going to start getting in there and trying to help everybody. So we do have to just put that into our planning is that second we can, we are going to have to start being involved in that. I, I One thing that, uh, that we talked a lot in our evacuation story on, on soundings was uh, the legal authorities, and this is that EMs to start considering in their plans is, you know, four factors. One, who can make a decision to evacuate? Who implements that evacuation? How do you do the evacuation notices? Like what we're just now talking. And uh, and what about your routes? And uh, that's that's one aspect of it is who can decide. So, uh, and especially the legal authorities, if you don't proclaim a local emergency to promulgate evacuation orders, the only thing, in, at least in California, where we have to stand on is the penal code, 409.5. It permits law for uh, law enforcement officers to 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 close an area, but it does not allow them to pull people out. It's very very unclear. Uh, the only penal code section that allows you to actually forcibly remove people is 409.6 of the penal code. Which more deals more with avalanches and uh, mudslides and uh, volcanic activity that has debris flows where you can forcibly pull people out. So what most people do, uh, they they have somebody sign a, a waiver saying that uh, you you recognize the hazard. We're telling you to, to to leave. You won't. So sign it here so that it's not our legal uh, uh, liability. And that's what we're standing on right now. We're trying to tell them, get out. Otherwise, sign this form and you're on your own. If we can come and get you, we will try. You know, it's funny you say that about the whole legal authorities. Um, at the uh, CISA conference, uh, we were having a conversation in one of the classes regarding evacuation. And one of the ladies who was there um, was saying how uh, Cal Fire uh, ordered the evacuation. And everybody in the room looked at her and goes, Cal Fire can't order the evacuation. It has to come from the from the sheriff department. It can't come from from Cal Fire. Well, uh, well uh, and in Penal Code four hundred nine point five, she's partially right. Um, there's a whole list of people who are authorized uh, officers of the Department of California High Patrol, police departments, marshals' office, so sheriff's office, any peace officer employed in Department of Forestry or Fire Protection designated as a peace officer. Uh, by Section eight, uh, 830.2, and it goes in about parks uh, and recreation uh, peace officers. So, so there are some people in the fire service who have the illegal authority as a peace officer to implement 409.5. But again, that means closing the area, not letting people in, not allowing have port forcing people out. I even saw one county during these fires, local uh, current fires, they said they're going to use a forced escort out. Well, unless they proclaimed a local emergency and promulgated an evacuation order that says they have the right to pull people out, you can't take people out. And so that's one thing that emergency managers should really make sure they have in their plans is, is those authorities that allow them to do that. And we did that uh, for waterways also in the 2017 floods. Uh, the California Government Code 8634, proclaim a local emergency. One thing that allows you to do is to uh, order 
put out orders for evacuation and also allows you to extend the number of type of people who can help pull people out and who can go back in. And uh, so it's a lot, and plus it gives you some immunities from liabilities. So in the, the feed report, report, and this is something all emergency managers should look at, is the governor's emergency, flood emergency action team issued a final report in May 1997. And from that, they spun off 10 major guidance. Actually, uh, 10, there's actually uh, four, about 11 now. And you can get that on the California web, uh, OES website under plans and publications. Scroll down, you'll see the feet reports. And in that, they have a guide for legal guidelines for controlling movement of people and property during an emergency. And then you also have one legal guidelines for flood evacuation. And then for people who have waterways, the protocol for closing of Delta waterways. Those are really good tools that drive these issues home. You know, what rights do you have? What rights do the citizens have to, to deny you to pull them out? Uh, and I think I think those feet reports are really helpful for people to be uh, to be aware of, including mobile home parks that should have which ones should have emergency plans. To go back on that story, it was an LA County fire, not a it wasn't a state run fire. So I mean, there's like a lot of my point about that wasn't so much that I'm trying to say that she was wrong. My point is even those of us that are in this profession get confused on who has the ability to order what, you know? And, and so that's, that's kind of why I was bringing that story up, not to, not to make light of her situation, but uh, just that conversation was interesting that here we are professionals in emergency management uh, at our state conference. And, and there's still confusion on who has what authority to do what in, in that sense. Yeah, you're right. And again, that's, that was the, the two first points that we did in our evacuation story was again, one, who makes that decision? The legal authorities come from the California codes, local ordinances, or federal regulations. Two, who can implement that evacuation? And so that's, everybody should go back and look at it. And each city and county and sometimes special districts, they're, they're different. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing is what she might've been telling you is what was based in her plans or, or maybe their plans are a little bit lacking versus yours maybe a little stronger or somebody else's. So that's that's the critical thing. And then you get into these catastrophic emergencies like earthquakes and, and floods, like the Oroville thing. Now you got people moving between jurisdictions that all have different terminologies, all different methods of evacuation. And going back to the, the crisis relocation manual from FEMA, uh, how do you, you know, our, our county uh, up until when I retired, looked at evacuations in one simple way is evacuations are primarily a field practical problem. Mm -hmm. We have all these, we have all these great plans, big binder plans and uh, computerized mapping and evacuation flows and stuff, but how do you refuel them? How do you give them information locally as they move? And you see that uh, like in Katrina, there's 1 million plus people evacuated. Uh, Oroville, people are moving down between counties. You look at the Texas, uh, uh, hurricane uh, video and stuff like that. You see massive amounts of people, and they're going through all these areas. And they're 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 getting off the freeways. They're trying to take over gas stations and 
find ways of, of taking care of themselves. How do you handle that practical problem of moving them? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, those are conversations that we've had in the past um, regarding, uh, specifically when I was at Dana Point, about moving people, you know, in, in Southern California, which is condensed as it is, um, moving them up the 5 freeway, um, up to the 405, you know, how do we stop people from coming in? I mean, there's a lot of conversations. I mean, these these are these are detailed. I mean, we have Caltrans, uh, the sheriff's department. You have um, uh, Highway Patrol. You have the fire departments that are all involved in this conversation on how do we move masses of people uh, in in a short in a short period of time. And like again, I I, I don't know how we can stress this more that we do not take these um, these decisions lightly it's not like we just go ah, let's close it let's let's evacuate you know th- there's a lot of conversation that goes into this and if you you're absolutely right michael if you're not planning for this today you are way behind already on that eight ball if you have to call make that decision on how you're going to do it and how you're going to implement it and who you're going to use to to move masses of people down the freeway uh, in in the middle of a, of a of a situation and we've seen it time and time again Hurricane Rita is a really good example of looking at what the freeways look like during an evacuation. You know, more people died on that freeway than than were killed from the storm. You know, so we have to take those into consideration. Michael, we're getting close to the end. Uh, I'd like to let you um, have the last word on this. So tell me a little bit about the story that you're doing or that you did um, with Soundings and how could people find it? Okay, uh, we did a, uh, a story on evacuations and it's uh, found at soundings mag sounding as in navigable you know taking soundings of how deep the water is soundingsmag.net and go to that the main website and you scroll down you'll see our story and he has it pretty well identified whether it was our power safety shutoff story evacuations uh, we did a, we did a flood a four-part flood series uh, earlier this year just soundingsmag.net, and uh, we interviewed uh, Cal OES, their law enforcement division uh, director, uh, a few in operations. Then we went to a couple counties. We went to Sacramento County and in Yolo County, and we got some feedback from Calaveras County, who was doing some additional GIS mapping. And uh, uh, that caused a lot of discussion between emergency managers because they're all looking at from their point. Some of them felt that uh, you shouldn't use weather service terminologies or other terminologies. It didn't quite fit theirs, but they did a lot of research and a lot of discussions in-house. So whatever they come up with, you know, at least they thought it up. I think uh, going back again to the FEMA report on, on one of them was uh, willingness to move to shelter or caught out in the open, like you say, you know, get it caught out there in the storm. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever done this. It's uh, not us. But we thought about earthquakes and flooding, people moving out of the Delta area. So we actually bought four portable radio trailers, kind of like you see with Caltrans on the freeway, tuned to whatever frequency to, to hear what's going on. We actually uh, bought and had uh, developed 10 hose and attachments that allow you to hook up. Most of these fuel tenders have an outlet on each side. So we could actually have five fuel tenders uh, stretched out in different areas of the, of the county and have two lines of on each side, people getting fuel. 
That's cool. We've identified which off ramp to get down the off ramp, get fuel, get back on it. And I don't know if anybody else has ever done that, but there are some creative ways of trying to deal with this mass movement of people. And it's going to happen, whether it's a fire, earthquake, or flood, uh, who knows what else. Uh, It could even be just a gas shortage, like we saw in the 70s, and uh, uh, possibly not too too long ago in in, uh, the 90s. So that's the things I think uh, look at is, is got the warning uh, to consider, you know, got to decide who can decide on evacuations. Once you get the evacuation routes set up and going, how are you going to take care of those people? Are you going to move them from point A to point B? Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. And, and by the way, everybody, we will have um, the links to uh, the Soundings Magazine in the show notes so uh, if you're driving down the road or your pencil's not sharp don't worry about it just go in there find the show notes click on that and you'll find uh, the great work that michael's doing over with soundings what a what a wonderful uh resource that's right there michael thank you so much for doing what you guys do and uh love to have you on the show again sometime okay and like what this churchill said if you're going through hell keep going Thank you for listening to this episode of EM Weekly. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. And also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you're looking for more information and more emergency management type podcasts, check out sitchradio.com because there's a full laundry list over there. See you next week.